You're listening to Sidious Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundations. And I'm Rick Enlow, your host, and I'm here with Dave Hillis, the author of a book by that same name. And we are in the middle of the playground here in Tacoma, Washington, right in the middle of the city. So, Dave, good to be with you. Rick, great to be with you. One of the things that we've been talking about for a year has been uh, Eucharistic leadership. And um, so one thing that's great about a podcast is sometimes when you enjoy one, and we know that there's at least two people that have enjoyed this because like our our, uh, immediate family members. But but one of the things that's great is sometimes people have said to me, hey, I I discovered this podcast and, um, you know, I recommend it. And I think, okay, and then I'll I'll look it up and it'll be like, you know, all these episodes and I'm thinking, where do I jump in? Yeah. And so one thing that's great is we're going to recap the whole idea of Eucharistic leadership. And this is a great place to jump in. So this would be a great place to recommend mm-hmm. to those who uh, may be unfamiliar with the, with the podcast. And you can say, hey, listen, this episode that's a recap on Eucharistic leadership is a great place to jump in. And then if people are, uh, you know, they, they're interested, of course, they can take it apart in the different episodes with our guests. So it's a great yeah. idea. So that's what we'll do. And, and in fact, uh, it's been like literally 10 months, uh, 10 different podcasts and uh, some great guests. And, and, and yet it's always important uh, to sort of review, you know, mm-hmm. what the big idea is. And one, one way we could jump into that is if we, if we sort of take a look at the scripture, especially the New Testament and the, and the, the book of Matthew, mm-hmm. there's an encounter uh, where you see um, an individual who has kind of the uh, what I would have to call, uh, you know, kind of the standard stereotypical idea of a leader, mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. and makes a request based on that. And then the response is Eucharistic. And that, that kind of helps us understand. So take me through that, Matthew 20. Yeah, it's, it's just, again, one of those wonderful encounters. It's almost humorous. Um, you know, we uh, are told by Matthew that Jesus and the disciples have are on their way to Jerusalem, a whole bunch of things have happened. Uh, You almost get a little bit of the sense, Rick, that uh, maybe for the first 19 chapters, uh, people around Jesus have kind of been kicking the tires, slamming the doors, Mm -hmm. kind of wondering if this is the real deal. Uh, By chapter 20, I think they say, it appears that it is the real deal, and there is a mother who uh, is convinced it's the real deal, so much so that she goes to Jesus and says, by the way, when you get to your, you know, heavenly abode, uh, I want you to promise me that uh, my two sons uh, will get on your left side and your right side. Mm-hmm. And if you just pause for a minute, I mean, there, there's just a level of humor, right? So it's yeah. like, yeah. Um, you know, my, my boys aren't going to be able to ask this, but I, as their mother, can. Yeah. And what one would anticipate, um, I think, is, is maybe the, the cosmic finger, uh, you know, that Jesus might wag at the mother and say, you know, that's not what this is about. But, but curiously enough, um, he says, that's not, you know, essentially uh, mine to give, mm-hmm. uh, but then can you, uh, in fact, uh, you know, uh, sup the cup that, that I will sup? <clears throat> and I think very interestingly, Rick, what happens and what I think Jesus puts his finger on in terms of leadership is an essential tension. And that is um, that it, there does need to be a level of ambition. Um, you know, one might even kind of describe it as ego to say, I'm going to lead this church or lead mm-hmm. this organization or lead this family or lead this business. Um, and, and that is saluted. But then Jesus, like he always does, kind of flips it and says, mm-hmm. in order to be the kind of leader 
uh, that I'm describing, it's going to be a very different kind of leader. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I, I've always found a great fascination with this chapter because I, um, I love the way he affirms leadership, but then says, but it's going to look like this. Yeah, yeah. And I was, uh, I was reading, um, I, I decided to look up some of the other passages where, you know, there's a description or reference by Jesus of the Eucharist, and especially that one um, encounter where, where um, he begins to tell people, um, you're going to eat of my flesh and drink mm-hmm. my blood. And then that's when everybody ditched <laughs> because, right. you know, they were, they were like, you know, like the, you know, the, the sons of thunders, mm-hmm. you know, they, they were wondering if in fact, you know, it was going to be a, a position, Yeah, you know, it was going to be that pa- power was going to be uh, sort of doled out. And, and I think, uh, um, that that was again, you know, a Eucharistic reference. And so it's amazing. Now, now one of the things, uh, that that I've enjoyed is uh, learn learning from you. Uh, you are the you are the, my favorite qu- quoting friend, and you you got you quoted in like I always you know sort of butcher the reference, and you go yes that was uh, this is who said that you know so I appreciate that, but I know that uh, Paul Tillich is a uh, is a guy who who mm-hmm. mentioned something that we can make a turn on here. Yeah, well he uh, Paul Tillich has this just generally speaking, these wonderful insights into, into humankind. And he was wrestling with the question of faith. And he made this great statement. He said, um, he says, it's one of those terms which needs healing before it can be used for the healing of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I think this was Tillich's great insight that, that the word itself had become so hackneyed, so abused, uh, that before it can actually be used in the healing process, it's got to be rehabilitated itself. Yeah. yeah. And I've often thought, Rick, that that's particularly true with leadership. Um, I, I, I'm of a deep Tillichan belief that our problem is we've lost uh, the shape of that word. And it's almost as though it's got to be rehabilitated, uh, the word itself, mm-hmm. Uh, before it can be repurposed uh, yeah. in in the world in which we live, and uh, and that actually, and part of the repurposing of it or the rehabilitation of it, for me has been this idea about uh, is leadership in fact eucharistic? Um, is, is that the shape? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that really what Jesus meant when he talked to the mother about her sons? When he you know claimed to everybody that. In order to follow me, you're going to have to eat of me. Um, so I, I, I sense, and, and that's what's really been exciting for me over the last 10 months with you, is that in talking to you know Larry Lloyd and Sarah Melchior and Chris Rock and Jack Fortin, that we've been in a little bit of a, a rehab uh, yeah. of, of the word leadership. Yeah, and I think it's, I like the way he, you know, he talks about uh, healing. Because sometimes I, I have mm-hmm. a tendency to just think, okay, forget the word. Mm-hmm. Move on. Just get a different word, you know. Um, and and I, but I think that the whole idea of um, that the word needs to be um, it needs to recover what it, you know what it's really about mm-hmm. is is a, a really beautiful way to think of it. So what we did is we went back over these ten months and um, kind of reviewed some of these episodes and made some observations that we thought well this would be a good uh, some good touch points so that we can. You know, kind of give an overview, but at the same time, um, remember, yeah. you know, some of the things that we learned from our guests. Uh, so let me just mention, I'll just mention um, an observation and you can, you know, help me, uh, you know, you can help me remember more in detail and expand <laughs> on it. Um, we can help each yeah, other. Yeah, we'll help each other. But the first one is uh, that the world itself 
is Eucharistic. And uh, the only way to rightly engage the world is Eucharistically. Yeah, I think the, the notion there, um, you know, and, and this, I, to back up a little bit, uh, really comes out of what I think would be traditionally a Catholic sensibility, not so much, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, but the notion that um, the world is, is actually imbued with God. Um, you know, I, I think of, um, again, a number of poets um, that, that describe this, uh, you know, it, it's, it's Christ in 10,000 places. I mean, you're, you're engulfed in this. Um, and so that the world itself um, literally becomes uh, this, this good, you know, gift. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if that's true, um, then wouldn't it, you know, make good sense uh, that in order to actually, you know, uh, engage this world, uh, this Eucharistic world around us, that we ourselves, uh, and particularly our leadership, uh, need to become Eucharistic mm-hmm. as well. And I think it's that alignment, um, Rick, that, that really begins then to set leadership in motion. Um, I oftentimes think, uh, and again, if this statement is true, that, that our problem is if the world is Eucharist, uh, but we have a leadership that is non-Eucharist or even antithetical to Eucharist, well then, Right there's the yeah. there's the train crash and and that's why uh, things don't uh, don't get going. So yeah, and I think it's a good point because it it means that we have to at least have a conversation about whether we think the world is eucharistic. You know whether we think this, right. that there there that Christ is in ten thousand places. That you know that's right. And I think a lot of times the um, you know I think of this in terms of uh, some of the conversations I've had with the environmental you know ethics. Um, professors, you know, and they've talked about how um, if you read the scriptures uh, such that everything in the world is instrumentally valuable, like, you know, we're here to subdue, Mm. you know, like we're the highest of all created order. Everything's here for our enjoyment. Right. Mm -hmm. So then we, 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 you know, we end up, you know, consumer materialist people. Mm -hmm. If you read a little earlier (laughs) in the story, which Mm -hmm. I think is part of the problem is, you know, everybody picks it up like, Hey, wasn't the beginning the fall? Well, actually, no, that's that's a couple chapters in. That's exactly But you know, if you realize that, wait a second, you know, that's, you know, that what if everything is intrinsically valuable or even inherently valuable, but not instrumentally. And, uh, it's I, an excellent point. I gave my five-year-old uh, buddy last Saturday. I was at a basketball game, and he's five-year-old. And I gave him a dollar to go get something at the snack shack. And he said, "You know, I think I'm going to save the dollar." I said, "Well, sure, that's a good idea. Good." <laughs> so he starts looking at the dollar, and he starts asking me all these questions about the dollar bill. Like, right, like I haven't right. looked at a dollar bill for a long time. And he's asking me, why is there this eyeball over this pyramid? And I said, because you got to keep your eye on your money. You know, I mean, I, I'm making stuff up. I don't. I have, I have no idea. But then he says, why does it say in God we trust? Hmm. He's five. And I said, well, because, you know, we don't trust in money. Um, you know, we trust in God. You know, money just, you know, just we can just get a snack at the snack shack. But God, you know, he gives us life. And he goes, nah, I'm not sure about that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and it was kind of this interesting moment because I think he's I think he's right. Right. You right. know, that he's thinking, yeah, you know, that's it's kind of cool. But I think people do think that if they get more of these things, you know, that um, yep. that the leader is the one with the most of these. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. And so so I think it's important that we have to say, okay, wait a minute. Is this world that we live in a, a remarkable gift? Well, then 
wouldn't we want to lead it, you know, giftedly? That's right. Know? So I think that's, yeah. that's, that's helpful. And I think just a quick comment, uh, Rick, I think what you said is exactly right. And thus the metaphor for leadership foundations around the city is a playground, not a battleground. It, again, it's another way of saying it, it's, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Uh, and now there's some sharp edges, and we're going to get our knees skinned up a little bit. But, but settle into that essential fact of its inherent goodness uh, and allow that to begin to shape you as you move forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were talking about, um, in, in this conversation I had last week, about the uh, Acropolis, which is, uh, in my mind, I was you know thinking, okay, Athens has this most famous Acropolis. But the guy was telling me that, all, all Greek cities had an Acropolis because the word mm-hmm. Acropolis just means um, the highest place. It's where mm-hmm. we get the word acrobat. You know, mm-hmm. It's just up in the air. And so he was just saying that even like, for instance, Corinth has a more impressive, you know, hill than, than Athens. But what was interesting is that it's at the top of that hill that they always built um, a temple to the patron god. You know, and I thought, well, where I live, the highest point, I thought, what, now the city I live in, where's the highest point? And I realized Costco. and so so i thought that kind of is the temple you know Mm -hmm. you know for for our community right because we're just consuming you know humans but i think that if we ask ourselves what what sits on the highest point in our life i mean what is what is it that you know that we patronize you know that that we Mm -hmm. and if we decide you know i think that this life is a gift Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. well i think that does then reflect on um you know, what leadership means. Yep. And I do think that when we decide, hey, you know what, the, you know, um, the highest hill in the city I live in is, is, a, is a great place for a playground. Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. just changes the way we see it. Yeah. Another thing we observed is that um, uh, a spiritual person who experiences human reality, I think it was Jack who kind of talked about that. Yeah. We are spiritual people who experience human reality, not human you know, people who experience spiritual realities. Mm-hmm. Sorry, explain that. Well, I think it's, when Jack was talking about it, I think it struck both you and I, um, you know, how easy, um, and particularly in leadership circles, we get into these bifurcations, uh, you know, the profane, uh, the holy, um, you know, the sacred, the secular. Yeah. And, and I think uh, one of the things about Jack and the way I think he talked about this is that leadership um, doesn't live in this bifurcated, you know, kind of world. It, it actually moves from a center. And the statement, you know, if, in, again, this is a Eucharistic world in which we live in and everything is, you know, rife with the glory of God, then our natural resting heart rate is that we are these spiritual people. We are these spiritual beings that are walking this good earth um, who happen to have these human experiences and not the other way around. And I remember C.S. Lewis at one point made a comment. It was almost an aside comment, but he thought, you know, if we actually believed what the scripture says about who we are as humans, that we are among gods and goddesses Mm -hmm. uh, and it would change everything. But of course we don't, believe that and yeah, so yeah. We, we treat each other like we're human so I, I think this is a, just a natural ramification of that first statement and I think it's true that um, um, being like a church guy you know as a pastor I think there's a general sensibility that we are um, working men and women who go to church mm-hmm. sometimes right 
instead of saying we're the church and we're often at you know at work in different ways that's right and i think that's that's the same uh, that, that reflects the same thing what i like to do sometimes is just throw a little riff in there dave to just keep <laughs> us on track um and uh I, I, that's actually that was that was a little drum solo uh from carrie, carrie. Our, our, uh, the genius of communications now the next thing we talked about is um this idea that Eucharistic leadership is somehow grounded in forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Again, I think this was a Jack um, comment, um, but but the notion that one of the things that Eucharistic leadership does uh, is it begins to kind of uh, outline in some ways, um, you know, what what this leadership will look like, and it's this self-donation, right? This mm-hmm. self-emptying, the the Philippians two. Um, I did not, you know consider you know equality with a god something to be grasped but i emptied myself mm-hmm. etc um that ultimately then and this is what we experience you know in like in the case of my tradition you know every mass um is that the the eucharist is is ultimately this moment uh the singular moment of you are forgiven once again mm-hmm. and i think at least as it relates uh to leadership um, I, I think this is a profound, um, how would you describe it, um, moment of recognition that as I go into this meeting, you know, as I stand up in this pulpit, Rick, if your case, uh, as I lead this organization, um, I do so not because I think I've somehow mastered something or I was the head of the class or... I got the best grade on the paper, you know, as a result of these merits I lead. But rather, um, I start because I'm forgiven. I'm mm-hmm. a forgiven one. And, uh, and that I, I know this uh, to be true. I've had lots of conversations with uh, people who are in leadership positions. And the profound, almost pervasive sense of illegitimacy. Uh, if, if people really knew mm-hmm. yeah. um, the, I, I shouldn't be here. And I think that's because that's built on a, this false premise that, that somehow a leader is a person who's got you know, her or his act together. Yeah. And so just the release, the, the relaxation to go, actually, my leadership begins and, and probably most likely you know, ends in this space of, of being forgiven. Well, and I think when we think about the sort of the four movements of the Eucharist, you know, the, the first two are, are kind of exciting, you know, and like very uh, motivational. And, you know, I think that's where we want, kind of want to stop. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I've been taken, selected, chosen, you know, wow. And then, you know, I've been blessed. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's great. And mm-hmm. then let's just not move on because then we then it's all of a sudden broken and given, right? Yeah. But yeah. you but unless we go, you know, through the, the entire, you know, Eucharistic movement, yeah. um, that's where the forgiveness, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, lives, yeah. you know, and even in not only the, the uh, you know, Jesus himself, you know, providing forgiveness, but then in our own uh, leadership lives, you know, it's when we're, yeah. it, it, that's the, it's the it distributing, you know, and I think you're right that it's, uh, especially organizations that have, um, you know, that are, uh, uh, they select leaderships based on election, you know, now, like even in the church world, sometimes you know, they're going to call a new pastor. So everybody has to mm-hmm. vote. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes that's so like non-Eucharistic because it seems like, you know, that, that, 
what commissioned you yep. was not a, a forgiveness, but you know, a, a, you know, a campaign. Yep. Yeah. And that's and it's this kind of thinking and comment that then puts in kind of base relief just the the power of Pope Francis's you know almost initial comment when he was asked, "Well, who's Pope Francis?" I mean, it's like mm-hmm. I'm a sinner. You know who's forgiven yeah and yeah i just thought you know and everyone kind of oh yeah yeah, yeah. well that's what, the way religious people talk but i i think for francis uh, it was much much more than just a, a religious yeah. you know sort of statement i mean yeah. i it was this profound sense that this is my ontological reality um yeah. well I, and then some of his practices i mean you know, the first time uh, foot washing came up, everybody thought, well, you know, will he, where will he put his shoes? And then he's washing. You know exactly. what I mean? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, now another uh, um, idea that kind of emerged from our conversations was that uh, the courage to call forth authentic action has to be in the common good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, again. This was a another uh, Jack uh, statement, um, and that he was uh, quoting a guy by the name of Bob Tierney. I think who has been an influence on Jack, but that Tierney actually defines leadership um, as you know this ability, the courage actually to call forth um, out of people authentic action uh, into the common good, mm-hmm. and. You know, I, I like that uh, as a definition in some ways of what I think Eucharistic leadership actually does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it uh, as these four movements that you just described, you know, really begin to take their shape in us, um, then it moves us to action, yeah. um, right? I mean, it, it, it isn't just salvific. I mean, it's, it, it begins to kind of bubble and churn and and so, what I think it does move you to is is this moment of having courage, um, because leadership does uh, demand courage, and to actually then, and I, I like this term, to call forth um, authentic action. In other words, um, it's already in the people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they're sitting on it, but there hasn't been something that's either catalyzed it um, or you know. Uh, you know, triggered it, and so you're you're literally as as a Eucharistic leader, um, going into situations and and trying to get people to come forth, you yeah. know, with with their authentic self. And then the last little piece that I think is again just so key, um, Rick, is it's not just for your organization or just for your church or your business, but it's actually for the common good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think again, that's the beauty of the Eucharist is that. It's done uh, on behalf of all, not yeah. for you know um, a particular um, yeah. way of thinking. Well, I think it's so true because I mean, I love it when you you know you you uh, and this relates to a city. You know, is is someone who listens to the city, you know, who calls forth out even out of the city that you know that they're serving, mm-hmm. to, you know, and and. Um, you know the kind, the idea that 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 the treasure is is here. It just needs to be That's mined. Exactly right. You know. Yeah. And whenever you see the other kind of leadership, which is, um, hey, I haven't had a conversation with anybody. I'm just going to tell you, you know, what's up. You can just tell, like, well, um, you know, this is not dialectic in any way. There's no other. You know, I mean, it, it, I mean, you know, I guess you, if you're a dictator, you don't need much dialogue. But but right. I think even in in the in the church universe, it, it can become a more of a monologue than a dialogue. Yeah. And I think that that's something that we can, 
uh, take to heart ourselves is uh, I always appreciate when you, know, you see somebody you think is a big shot. I mean, this is like a leader, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and running, you know, some major endeavor. Mm-hmm. And then you hear him say something. I have so much to learn, mm-hmm. you know, because we, we were at the U, uh, University of Washington and uh, took this class from this guy that I thought this guy's forgotten more than I'll ever learn. I yep. mean, he's just a genius. And his opening line to this class I was attending was that I'm here to learn from every one of you. You know, the reason I the reason I'm here is because you have, yep. you know, you have something to teach me. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that's Eucharistic, you know, exactly. And yeah, definitely. And again, just because you started with that very first thing about the Eucharistic um, just shape of the world, <clears throat> I think you can only call forth authentic action in others if you believe that the world, you know, has got this right, right kind of resting heart rate of goodness. Yeah. Um, if you don't. And I've I've fallen victim to this uh, myself so many times. I, I walk into the situation um, and am you know at best neutral um, and at worst downright antagonistic uh, to the very you know people that I'm I'm supposed yeah. to lead. So yeah. that this is a yeah very significant. Well, and I think it it's um, it's easier. I mean, the, it's the path of least resistance is just to say. I don't have time to call forth something, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then especially if you even examine what is being called forth, whether it's, you know, from, you know, uh, the community or, or just even the leader just calling forth something from himself. If it's not in the common good, that's another indicator. You yep. know what I mean, if it's just like, hey, this will be awesome for me, <laughs> you know, and uh, a real setback for everybody else. But this is what I think we should do. It's yeah. like, well, there's something non-eucharistic about that for sure yep um and then uh we've made the observation and heard and heard uh, our guests talk about how when you're you experience this you know this this um, kind of leadership um it creates a culture mm-hmm. you know what i mean like uh, it changes the you know the surrounding uh you know, approach, hopefully the city you live in, the family, you know, that you live in and all that. Yep. And, and part of what they see is a, a trustworthiness. Now, why would, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's, uh, I think my sense at least is that good leadership, Eucharistic leadership will, will do a lot of things. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, and I think most people would say, uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been inspired to get out and, and it's like wonderful or uh, I somehow feel emboldened to finally take on that task I've never done or, you know, I've discovered something about myself. But, but in my, my experience, there is um, a singular sort of reality that sits beneath all of that. Um, and, and that if, if that's in place, then all these other things can happen. Mm-hmm. If that's not in place, uh, then rarely will these things happen. And if they do happen, it'll be, you know, something that's, that's fleeting. And so, you know, in that, what was it? Well, it's, it is this issue of trustworthiness. Um, and this actually comes out of a, a, a pretty deep theological history. Um, Rick, the, uh, in fact, again, uh, Jack, and I've talked a lot about this when uh, he, one of his favorite heroes is, is Martin Luther, of course. Mm-hmm. And Luther was asked the question about, you know, how we'll describe, you know, this world when the gospel gets loosed and, 
you know, what, what will it look like, what will it be like? And people, of course, expected him to say, well, you know, the churches will be full and the Sunday school classes will be replete and people will walk around with their Bibles. But very interestingly, and maybe even curiously, Luther said, well, he says there will be those that, you know, will have said yes to the faith. But the real effect of the gospel um, is that it'll create a world that's more trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, I've, I've found that statement, I think, just to be profound. <clears throat> and, and so I've, I've noticed that, that as I've watched Eucharistic leadership work, um, it's not so much that, you know, everybody becomes a certain kind of leader or, you know, the organization now is better able to meet all of its goals and its financial obligations. I mean, we hope those things, you know, come about. Mm-hmm. But it's like you walk into the organization, you know, and you just look around and you go, people trust each other here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, vulnerability uh, is saluted. Uh, you know, it's not dismissed. Right. Um, you know, authenticity uh, is championed. Uh, you know, it's not, um, you know, put out of the way because it's inconvenient. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that, yeah, that basic cultural norm of trustworthiness is what I think Eucharistic leadership creates in its its most uh, intent way. Yeah, and I think what I love always love when I think about trust, especially, you know, Bible words, you know, uh, it was actually my uh, theologically profound friend, uh, Dr. Chap Clark, who's a uh, taught at Fuller for 20 years. No chap. Yeah. yeah. And he, he was talking to me, you know, sometime we had this conversation about how it, essentially it's the same word, you know, uh, pisteo or pistis in, you know, in the Greek, which always gets translated belief in so many different, mm-hmm. you know, English translations. And he says, his view or his recommendation is just cross that out and write trust. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we've, we've turned this idea that I believe something into mm-hmm. like, you know, I believe like four sentences worth of information mm-hmm. or, you know, I believe this is, these are my beliefs. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you turn it to trust, which, and then, you know, I like, um, some of the old, I think the, uh, new American standard, you know, translation and that little group of scholars, they, they, they called it rely, mm. you know, in, in, uh, first John, it says we have come to know and we, and then there's different translations. We have come to know and we believe the love which God has for us. That's mm-hmm. one translation. Mm-hmm. But I love the one that says, we have come to know and we rely. That's great. You know, on the love. And I like that. I think that reliance, like you said, when you go, you know, you come into a company or a city, that's, you know, the th- whole thing about leadership foundations is saying, look, we're going to create collaborations with people of good faith and goodwill, and we're going to trust each other. Exactly. You know I mean, we have to develop a reliance on the, uh, you know, uh, the police force the uh you know government officials the you know sanitation department the you know everybody yep. in the city yeah and i think that when we hear even back in the day when we we you know we talk about some of the you know great urban leaders um you know when you see that eucharistic character you know that the characteristic of that kind of leadership it mm-hmm. is a reliance mm-hmm. not an independence yeah that's excellent yeah, yeah so that's, i think that's 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 a good one to to emphasize and then um um the, the other question or the other sort of twist on, uh, play on words that we, we talked about last time was, are we uh, leaders that serve or servants that lead? Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> again, we, it's just so, so significant. And this is the Robert Greenleaf um, insight many years ago, but um, he 
grounded, you know, the whole idea um, of leadership initially in the fact that everybody's been called to serve. Um, and, oh, by the way, you know, in my service to you, Rick, or to the Leadership Foundations or to my city, I will on occasion, you know, be called to lead. Um, and that, that idea um, is, is profoundly different mm -hmm. than that uh, person who says, I'm the leader and every once in a while, um, you know, I might decide to serve you. Yeah. And so I think the Eucharistic leadership um, demands that. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's exactly here I am, you know, taken and blessed and, you know, broken and then given. I'm, I'm that's my service. Yeah. Um, and now I, I happen then to, uh, to maybe lead in these two or three areas that I have a particular expertise or maybe some experience, but it's not a given that I will. Uh, yeah. What is a given is that I'll, I will serve. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's great. And then, you know, uh, kind of connected to that, uh, it gets all the way back to the beginning of your book on the Sidious Playground when we talk about how, how we see something, you know, like, like being a Eucharistic leader is a, a, a way of seeing. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that this is a theme, of course, that's just so sort of rock, you know, bottom for leadership foundations, but that we really do believe um, what what Stanley Hauerwas, you know, argued um, and he put it into a question. But the true or false, you can only act within the world in which you see. Mm -hmm. Um, and so Hauerwas ultimately, and leadership foundations as well, would say it's true. Um, wh whatever that frame, that mental framework of yours is, is going to dictate uh, how, you, how you behave. Um, so the idea of seeing a city as a playground. Mm -hmm. But leadership, um, and, and that's where I think, again, some of the, the um, really significant things about Eucharistic leadership begin to take hold is it becomes a framework for a way of seeing your leadership, um, it, that it is a leadership that has these four movements um, mm -hmm. and, and, and your behavior, you know, the way you now treat one another um, begins to get pushed through that, that frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, this, this time of the year happens to be uh, basketball time of the year and I know that you and I with our, our own children have taken us on quite the, quite the, the, the journey yeah. through basketball high school and college but one of the things that's interesting that our listeners probably don't know is that our sons um, were point guards you know mm -hmm. and uh, our particular sons we've had mm -hmm. and um, and when you're the point guard especially like I know at Stadium High School in Tacoma you know and, mm -hmm. and Gig Harbor uh, they had great coaches but the they were the leaders. I mean, that was that the position is a leadership position. It's yeah. like, you know, you're, but the, the most, um, uh, kind of the, the job description was to assist, mm -hmm. you know, and they even keep a, uh, a stat, you know, that what's your assist and turnover ratio. Right. Know? Right. And as long as you're assisting more than you're, you know, like, right. you know, uh, turning things over and, you know, and making mistakes. And I, I think I thought about that when I thought about, you know, uh, Eucharistic leadership and that how it really is, um, if you see yourself as a, a leader and assist, mm -hmm. you know, we talked about how Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. And mm -hmm. then he assisted, <laughs> you know, those That's who right. followed him. And then he said, now, you know, now you're authorized to assist, you know. Yep. And yeah, like, you, you know, uh, like we said, we have turnovers. 
Absolutely. You know? But yeah. uh, that's, that's one way we got to see ourselves. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah it's, <clears throat> you know, it's, I've done this exercise before. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Rick, with, with your people, uh, which I'm going to say is pastors, clergy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'll get up on a whiteboard and I'll actually draw a football team. Um, and, uh, and I'll say, now, I said, ask pastor, what position are you? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this probably wouldn't surprise you, but, um, and I haven't done a statistical study on this, but I can you tell you, I can tell you with QB. pretty good conviction, I'm the QB. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On occasion, someone will get really wild and say, I'm the running back. Okay. Um, and, and so we have a good conversation about it. And, uh, and I said, what if the paradigm was actually you're the center? Mm-hmm. You're the one that just gets the thing going. And there's usually this collective sort of, huh? <laughs> um, but I actually think, you know, and of course metaphors end at some point, oh, but yeah. I, think that's a, I think that's a more accurate way to think about this leadership, you know, as servant, as point guard, is that yeah. Yeah, you're down in the trenches. You're the yeah. one that, you know, huts the ball and, and then nobody sees you again. Yeah, yeah. So. No, I think that's a great example, and especially, uh, you know, like I said, during the, whenever you're listening to the podcast, but, uh, it's, we're recording this, um, with Super Bowl Sunday coming up. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a good picture for mm-hmm. us to have in our mind. Mm-hmm. Um, now we, we had it, we spent a lot of time, um, on a little t- play on words that, you know, m- might've been more clear to us than anyone listening, but right. <laughs> we talked right. about the fact that, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, leading, you know, in, by doing good things, but it's actually uh, leading in a goodly way. Yeah. So yep. double back on that. Yeah. I mean, this is, a, I think, a theme that has come up yeah, actually uh, in a lot of our um, episodes, even outside the Eucharistic shape of leadership. But uh, And it's, it's taken actually from a uh, Matthew 5 uh, statement uh, right after the, the Beatitudes when Jesus says, now let your good works uh, come up before humankind and they will bring praise and glory to God in heaven. And of course, wouldn't we all want that to, to happen? Um, but there's two Greek words for good. Uh, there is uh, uh, agathos, which is the, the quality you know, of a thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's kalos, which is uh, the way something is done. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you expect um, Jesus to actually use the word agathos here. Yeah, you know, just do good, right things, um, and people will, you know, bring praise and glory to your God in heaven. Mm-hmm. But he actually reaches for the word kalos, and that's a bit of a surprise. And so, uh, the way I translate it roughly, Rick is like, well, of course you're going to do the good thing, but what's really going to create some adhesive, some traction, mm-hmm. is the way that thing is done. Yeah. And I, I think that is particularly too, true, Rick, around leadership. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've watched a lot of people, and they probably even had the right idea, the right vision, um, you know, maybe the right resources, but they're just a wrecking ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so they resort, you know, to that probably most pernicious of all kinds of leadership styles, and that's just, you know, I mean, power by might, yeah. uh, or leadership by might. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think Eucharistic leadership, again, is saying, yes, not only is there a power, a, uh, a way, uh, or a, a, the need to lead, 
but as importantly, uh, pay attention to the way you mm -hmm. lead, yeah, um, yeah. To, the, to the feel of it. And that does run counter to you know, sort of contemporary leadership models, which is just outcome-based. Hey, whatever the outcome is, it's instead exactly of the right. process. Yeah. You know, I, now, I was just reading and reviewing um, Dr. John Gottman, who's the famous marriage mm -hmm. you know, psychologist from mm -hmm. the University of Washington. He, he's you know, been quite prolific and has a remarkable career. But one of the things he's come up with is you know, why... Uh, people's marriages, you know, cave in and, you know, he has the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, for, you know, you know, what behaviors and, and mm -hmm. one of the things that's remarkable about him, he can listen to a couple argue and, and he claims within from 15 minutes to, you know, uh, you know, half a day, he can predict whether their relationship has like long-term possibilities to a 91% accuracy rate. So, mm. In fact, one study he did recently with 130 couples, he, he was 98% accurate after wow. 10 years. So anyway, wow. it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. And one of the things he says is that it's not what people say to one another. It's how they say it. Yeah. And it's very, very much the same idea that it's not that they might even say something good, but it's not in a goodly yep. way. Yeah. And I think it's a good reminder as to why, um, you know, again, as we double back on what we just said, why is there no trust? Yeah. You know, in this particular organization, in this endeavor, in this family, in this system, in this city. Yeah. It's, it's not sometimes what we say. Yeah. It's, it's, you know. yeah, it's, it's, it's actually building on Gottman. Um, Flannery O'Connor, uh, in one of her more lucid moments, uh, which most of her moments were lucid, <laughs> but she was wrestling with the, the statement in the, uh, the scripture, Jesus' uh, statement about now there is a sin, right, which is, not forgivable, right? Unpardonable, right? yeah, yeah. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and so, but there's no definition to it. You're not quite sure what that is, and so, of course, Flannery decides to enter into this holy ground and hazard a guess, and she says it's smugness. Hmm. And I just thought, I think that might be true. Mm -hmm. There's something about that, and we've, you know, we probably have done it, but when you've encountered a smugness. Um, it, it's, I think it really is, it's the way, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you might even be right about yeah. this truth, but you're so smug about it mm -hmm. that it just kills it before it even has a chance of, yeah. of moving on. Yeah, that's true. And, and one of the things Gottman talks about is to watch ourselves, because we we're all susceptible, but the uh, always and never references yeah. are an indication that, you know, we have lost the goodly way. You yep. know, because we begin to yep. just sweeping generalizations or, or, you know, we think, you know, Hey, I'm going to, uh, I'm really going to lead now because I'm going to, I'm going to be louder, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll say it slower and louder. And then that'll, that'll be great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you and I had a chance to interview Eric Geary, but you know, you wrote that wonderful little book on yeah. leadership called Loudership. And yes. I think that's exactly, that's exactly right. Well, you know, now one of the things that's been good for me, um, you know, when, especially as a participant in the, you know, podcast is to, you know, walk out and, and then, you know, try this stuff on, you know, and mm -hmm. you know, in my own private, you know, sort of uh, thought life and, and say, okay. So one of the things that's been helpful is I, I evaluate, um, you know, kind of what's up with me and, and, you know, the organization that I'm a part of and, you know, the city that I live in and all that based on the kind of the four P's, which are, you know, 
the the way we've been taught that a leader mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. operates mm-hmm. and that's been helpful so go over those with me yeah i mean again you know not trying to be too formulaic but at least giving people a framework of okay if there is this eucharistic leadership um is it in response to something and so the notion i think is that you know we're taken uh, is in response to a leadership that possesses um you know, mm-hmm. it, it happens to us first before we, you know, ever uh, happen to, to something else. Uh, the idea of blessed uh, is in response to the whole notion that everything is provisional. Uh, you know, we talk about the, you know, if you do this, then I will grant you this. Uh, but what what blessed comes, begins to shape is this notion that it's because, Rick, of who you are, therefore you mm-hmm. get to do this. So yeah. it's taking on provisional. Broken uh, is really in response to this really noxious weed that sits at the base of every bit of leadership I know, and that is it's all about performance, Um, kind of period, end of story. And then the last um, taken is that it really is in response uh, to this notion of power, you know, and I'm trying to amass it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, you're you're giving it uh, away. So yeah. that's been for me uh, similar, uh, just a helpful way to think about um, you know in the midst of all this theology and philosophy and the politics of this world. That yeah. here's a very practical, concrete model. Yeah, and I think for instance, when when you use the word performance, you know, I always think of like a lot of us in our jobs will have a, a performance review at some. You know, yep. juncture in you yep. know annually or whatever and what if it was a broken review you know what i mean <laughs> right and so i asked myself that you know like yeah okay uh what if what if uh you know instead of thinking about what i've amassed what if i try to evaluate what i've uh you know distributed and what That's i've exactly given right. so I, mean, I think those yeah. are helpful things to think about yeah and uh you know so i i think that uh, sort of wrapping up our uh our, our talk about this um and there could be some of those out there who right now are thinking Enough on the Eucharistic leadership, okay? But uh, but uh, one well, of the things. Yeah, I was going to say, Rick. I, <clears throat> I mean, one of the things that I think you and I have discovered over these ten months, and this probably speaks to the the power of it, is that uh, it's it's you can't be exhausted. I mean, there's yeah. elements and layers in the whole bit. But I, I know that increasingly, if someone came to me and just said, "Okay, you know, at the end of the day, how do you know?" when you're with a Eucharistic leader or not. And I've, I love this little term that we've uh, we begin to talk a little bit about. Um, it's this idea of faithful play. Um, and I think that fits beautifully into this, you know, metaphor of city oh, yeah. as, as playground. And I, more and more, uh, when I watch Jesus in the Gospels, when I watch the Holy Spirit, there's almost a playfulness. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, a, a willingness to ask questions or to tell parables that you kind of really and uh, and and even to enter into, um, you know, just different conversations with, with a sense of playfulness and to do it faithfully. Yeah. And I think that's what I would I would probably want to leave people with as we kind of move on to other subjects is that that's the gift of Eucharistic leadership. Yeah. Um, it it allows you now to faithfully play in this good good world we've yeah. been called to serve well that's great well you know one of the things that's i mean when sometimes i think when i when i think um well jesus you know this 
he's he's the one who, who showed us. I think okay, <laughs> that's good. And then uh, and then even sometimes we think about well, you know, pastor guys or you know, uh, you know yourself, you're leading you know world changing organizations that you know like are uh, are helping cities um, you know become playgrounds and all that. And so it's fun also to keep our eye out for um, folks that we see behaving Eucharistically, even if they don't know it. Exactly. And one of the things is I listened exactly. to this uh, podcast last week and it was about the founder. I mean, you know, he's run this company for 50 years, but his name is uh, Yvonne Chenard and he's the, his company's Patagonia. Hmm. And it was, I don't know if you know much about this guy, but he, he, when I listened to him, you know, somebody sent me, Hey, you, you should listen to this podcast. And I, while I'm listening to it, I'm thinking, this guy's a Eucharistic leader. Mm. But what happens is he says things like he goes, um, uh, he had no, he's never uh, had, a, he has no college degrees. He's never been to business school, whatever. His, mm-hmm. his, yet last year, the sales of, you know, his, his company are like $1 billion <laughs> and he doesn't want his company to grow. Mm. He just wants the people to grow. He actually has a preschool for That's employees great. and he wow. claims that Patagonia's greatest mm. product are the children. You know that that That's are excellent. in the preschool. Yeah. yeah, and he has this. Anyway, he's kind of famous for. Um, he doesn't ca- he doesn't care about owning, like uh, properties, uh, like as far as houses. But he wants to own um, real estate because he wants to preserve like the best places to surf and whatever. That's great. And, and last year, he's the leader of this company, right? And he he left in June and returned in November. And everybody said, "What were you doing?" And he said he was playing. <laughs> and they said, "What? Are, well, what are you playing?" And he he was teaching. Native American children in Wyoming how to fly fish. Ah, wonderful. Like, you know, so anyway, when I listen to it, yep. so I think one of the things that was great is for us to keep our eyes open I like and it. our ears open to people who, even though they're, um, you know, they don't have an, uh, you know, maybe the context of the Eucharist, uh, you know, as far as a practice of their faith or even an awareness of, you know, what the Bible teaches. But you can, every once in a while, you can be inspired by people who are, they're just not, trying to amass power um they're not acting provisionally or you know are there it doesn't seem like their performance is something that you know they're they're into and they're assisting exactly yeah and that's uh, great yeah so anyway i thought i was encouraged because i want to thank you for uh i would not have recognized that you know i would not have seen eucharistic leadership in mm. in that podcast but since we had had these opportunities to talk about it we had these great guests you know to clarify things it was, it was pretty cool yep well, Rick, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. So if you have any questions, obviously, you can send them uh, to info at leadershipfoundations.org and, and you'll join the, uh, the the droves of people that communicate with us. Have we ever <laughs> received one email so far, Carrie? Not really. Okay. But why don't you send us something? Info at leadershipfoundations.org. Even if you, even if you want to say... I don't understand and I hate you, but that's still cool. It's, it's, you're reaching out. But uh, again, once again, uh, uh, share with your friends. And this episode would be a great one to jump in and, uh, and then uh, be on the, the 2018 journey with us. All right. Thanks, Dave. Talk to you later. Thank you, Rick. <laughs>